0: Okay, Oh. Okay. so yeah, hi everyone. It's really nice to be with you this evening. Um, So we're going to be discussing the science of motivation and willpower. Um, So just a really quick introduction to myself. So I'm Kate, it's nice to meet you all. Um, I'm from Ireland, if you can't tell from my accent, um, but I'm currently living in England, um, and I'm working as an assistant psychologist with the NHS. So my background is in health psychology, um, which is basically the relationship between our health and our psychology. So our our mental health, our cognition um, and our physical health. Um, So really, my passion is for using psychology and the the research that's there um, to help guide people with their physical health, um, because our our minds and our physical health are so connected. um, in pretty much every single way Um, so just a really quick overview of what we're going to look at this evening so there's so much information about motivation and fitness Um, I think if you type that into google you'd get 50 billion results Um, so I'm really going to focus on what the science of psychology has to say about motivation Um, so we're, we're going to look at some theories we're going to look at some studies it's going to get nice and technical um I think not too technical hopefully um because we'll also look at some pretty practical things that you can do to increase your own motivation um so it's all well and good to have these theories but we have to be able to do something about it um so yeah any questions as we're going along um I also have time at the end for questions um so you know feel free to hold them if you prefer um so we're going to kick it off by What is motivation? Motivation is our need or desire to do something. So, usually, when we talk about motivation, we're usually talking about the desire to do something, that we want something. But motivation is also an internal drive to get our needs met. So, being hungry drives the motivation to eat, being tired, exhausted drives the motivation to sleep. So we rarely think about these kind of processes as motivation, um, unless, of course, something goes terribly wrong. Um, But we need to consider the need motivations as well as the desire motivations, because they can compete with each other um, and that that can cause all kinds of issues. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end when we're talking about how to increase our motivation. Oftentimes we need to look at our need motivations as well. Um, but the majority of what we'll look at this evening will be about the, the process of motivation for desire. So that's goal achievement, personal fulfillment, you know, any kind of fitness goals that you have, that's all desire motivation. Um, so motivation is required for behavior change right which is required for any goal so if we want to lose fat or gain muscle or increase cardio fitness we have to change our behavior we can't just wish it Um, so there's many many factors to consider when we're talking about effective long-lasting behavior change that leads to actually accomplishing goals and staying there and not just yo-yoing Um, But really understanding motivation is really the key to behavior change, to successful, sustained behavior change. Um, And if there's if there's one thing that I'd like you all just to really take away from this talk is that genuine, long term, sustained behavior change as an adult is one of the most difficult things that you will ever do it's incredibly difficult it is not as simple as oh i want to lose weight i gotta go on a diet it is incredibly difficult to actually change your behavior in a sustained way and there's a lot of science behind this um i actually have another talk on um how our brains work um physically um and how they um Basically, slow down at the age of 25 or about there. Um, and after that, breaking habits, forming new habits, it becomes really, really difficult. Um, and it's important to recognize that because, you know, we often like to think that we're above our biology in a way, um, but we are not. Um, our brains work against us, um, they try to keep us the same. Our brain likes to stay in its habits, in its routines. And changing anything outside of that is really, really hard. So let's just keep that in mind when we're talking about motivation. Um, I think we, we kind of naturally assume that if we could just finally get motivated or finally be a bit stricter on ourselves or, you know, if I only had more discipline, then, you know, I'd finally be able to run 10K or whatever your goal is. But it's not as simple as that. Um, and it's, it's kind of important to understand this. It's that forcing yourself to work on behavior change, forcing yourself to do something that you don't want to do is really ineffective. You, you actually just can't force yourself to change, just like you can't force anyone else to change. Um, you have to work with yourself. And you you can work with yourself. If you have goals that you want to achieve, but you don't want to do the behaviors, you can work with yourself to change that and to want to do the behaviors, but you can't force yourself. Um, You can for a short time, force yourself to do anything for a short time. Um, But when you're talking about this long lasting behavior change, you got to work with yourself. Um, And that's what's great about psychology is that it helps us look at the research. It gives us the knowledge. Um, And then we can work alongside ourselves. Um, So if we first talk about some theories um, into motivation, I think that would be most useful. Um, But just really, really, really briefly about behavior change. I'm not going to go into this in too much detail. Um, Again, this could be a whole other talk. (laughs) Um, but it's really worthwhile to just take a really quick look here at what's called the stages of change. So this was developed by an American psychologist, James O. Prochaska. Um, So he wrote a really good book um, that's actually well worth a read if you can get your hands on it. Um, And it's called Changing for Good. So it's all about behavior change. Um, And in it, he describes this model here that he came up with, which is his behavior change model. There's loads of them, um, but this is his one and it's generally the most accepted in the field at the moment. Um, and basically he said that behavior change follows these six steps. So kind of gives us just a brief foundation to discuss motivation from, if that makes sense. So if we're looking at behavior change following these steps, we start here at the pre-contemplation And we hopefully make our way around to maintaining progress forever. Um, But actually, usually we end up in relapse. Um, That's just the way that behavior change goes. Um, So usually people get a real surge of motivation right about here in the preparation and planning stage. Um, They tend to get really motivated and they rush through to the action. And then motivation kind of dwindles a little bit here at maintenance And then people will either maintain their change or more likely will relapse and will go around this cycle again. And I think that's important to note as well is that relapse is really important for behavior change. It's very rare that we would succeed this first time at any behavior change at all. Um, And each time that we relapse and go around the cycle again, we're learning from our mistakes. So here we've got this upward spiral. So it's not just like round and round, it's round and round. So every time we're getting a little bit better, every time we're learning a little bit more um, and each time we're more likely to maintain this progress forever. So, you know, it's so easy to be discouraged by relapse, but actually relapse is helping us get to our maintenance. It just means we have to go around again, but that's OK. We can do that. Um, so motivation very naturally fluctuates through these stages of change. If you think about it at the pre-contemplation, if pre-contemplation here, you're not even thinking about um, changing a behavior. Of course, you're not motivated. Um, so it's it's really about managing your motivation. Um, so it's it's naturally going to fluctuate but failing to manage the motivation is really where people tend to make the biggest mistake. Um, So when we we talk about how to increase motivation, sustain motivation at the end, managing motivation is is one of the things. Um, So for example, here in this preparation and planning phase, people generally feel so much motivation get such a rush that they rush through, through into the action um, and almost kind of burn out their motivation, but it's it's really worthwhile to take a slow measured approach, um, set your goals correctly, take the time so that when you come to the action and eventually maintenance forever, um, you haven't just like burned through your motivation just thinking about it. So we'll come back to proper goal setting, taking the time towards the end of the talk because that's a really great way to sustain uh, motivation but first we're just going to talk really briefly about some of the theories of motivation so just a little bit of psych background um, so there's loads and loads of theories of motivation um, but they generally fall into these broad categories um, none of them are perfect pretty much like everything in psychology nothing's perfect but they all kind of offer something to help us understand motivation a bit more and with understanding we can then work with ourselves um, so this kind of psychoeducation is really really helpful um, to be able to work alongside ourselves and not you know ag- against ourselves um, so some of the most relevant theories that we'll be looking at this evening will be incentive theory So that's a type of drive reduction theory. And then we'll also look at Bandora's self-efficacy theory. So a little bit later, we'll also look at Locke's motivating goal theory um, and also Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Those are also theories, um, but I kind of have them in the the final like how to increase motivation section just because they're more relevant there. Um, But if we give like a really quick, brief introduction into incentive theory. Um, So incentive theory talks about intrinsic and extrinsic factors as rewards for motivations. So intrinsic theories or intrinsic behaviours, motivations, those are ones where the reward that you get from carrying out the behaviour is the satisfaction of performing the activity itself. So an example I like to give is, you go for a walk because you enjoy the walk, right? You enjoy the fresh air, You like the feeling of moving your legs. Um, I don't know, maybe you have a nice woodland with some nice trees and you like the sounds of the birds and the leaves. The motivation for going for the walk is that you like the walk. Um, You like the behavior of walking itself, right? Whereas an extrinsic motivation, an extrinsic behavior is one that we do to get something good at the end. Or to avoid something bad at the end. So that would be: I go for a walk because I want to lose weight. Or it could be, I go for a walk because at 3 p.m. my children come home and they're very loud and I want to avoid the noise. So that's an extrinsic motivation. Um, So the incentive theory, it states that our behavior is primarily motivated by extrinsic factors so people are more motivated to perform things if they receive a reward afterwards a different reward rather than just enjoying the activities so it it basically says that eventually just liking the walk isn't going to be enough Um, eventually you're going to need some kind of outside motivation Um, so Extrinsic motivations, these are things that genuinely make us okay with completing the task. So we might not want to go outside for a walk just because we like the walk, but we might be perfectly happy to go for a walk if we say, you know, go for a five mile walk and you can have a nice bubble bath afterwards, right? You're happy going out on the walk. So we'll talk about how you increase um motivation extrinsically a bit later um, for using it's really useful for when you don't have that intrinsic motivation because intrinsic motivation is the one that will fluctuate whereas extrinsic is within your control you can give yourself rewards you can always increase the rewards you know there's always things we're going to want so we're going to look a little bit at at that, a little bit at the end, um, and about how to use good motivators. Right? You know, you don't want to say, "Go for your walk," and you can have five slices of cake because actually, you're probably counteracting the benefits of what you're looking for there um, and sabotaging a little bit. Um, so, was there a question there? Did I hear your question?
1: No, you're all good. I've, I think I've just been doing that wrong. The whole five slices of pizza. I think I've been doing. That.
0: <laughs> well, this is the thing: is that food can be a motivator. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily Um, but it can be difficult to do it right Um, and I think in our culture there's there's so many other factors around food um, and food as a reward um, and the the kind of um, uh, morality that's associated with food often Um, so that can be a really difficult one to to get right in terms of a reward um but you know as kids we were always told you know if you're if you're good and be quiet you can have an ice cream later you know <laughs> it can be motivating um so that's think
1: that, that carries on to like adult life again I know for myself I've always got that sweet tooth and can always go a little bit of dessert based on the thought of if you don't finish dinner you're not getting dessert like that lives with me to a day, and there's always room for ice cream
0: Mm-hmm. And it's actually really interesting. There's there's a lot of research at the moment about, um, you know, childhood nutrition um, and about how best to um, introduce things like dessert to children. Um, and one of the things that that's emerging is serving dessert with dinner for children um, so that it doesn't become this reward and you don't get this kind of whole morality wrapped up in it where, yes, it's enjoyable and I like it. but actually. It's no different to my plate of broccoli, morally speaking, right? It's just a different form of energy. Um, That's really, I'm sorry, I'm getting really off point. There's so much there, Um, but you can use food as an extrinsic motivation. I would just caution it because of the culture that we have around food and what's good and what's bad. And it can be really difficult to have a healthy mindset about it. And I think oftentimes especially when we have fitness goals it can just be so hard to keep a healthy mindset about it that it can be easier to just avoid it in terms of using it as a motivation um you know there's plenty of other things we can use to motivate ourselves um
1: yeah like that's a whole talk in itself so as you said we'll we'll keep going with incentive to us no but really really, thank you
0: yeah it it is it is it's a massive subject um but yeah, back to this talk. So <laughs> um, we also have Bandura's self-efficacy theory. So this is another theory of motivation, which basically says, really, really simply, that the higher your self-efficacy, the more motivation that you will have. Um, so Bandura was a late 20th century psychologist, really, really big psychologist, um, and basically, self-efficacy is your belief. Your own ability. So, how confident are you that you can carry out all the necessary steps to reach your goal? How likely do you think it is that you can actually do that? And his theory suggests that what you think about that will actually affect how likely you are to achieve it. So, if you think you can, you can. And if you think you can't, you can't, basically, in really simple terms. Um, So he suggested that our self-efficacy is affected by four factors. So if we just take weight loss, it's just a blanket example. Um, The first thing that would affect our self-efficacy is our previous experience. So have we tried to lose weight in the past? How has that gone for us? Maybe we found it really easy before, um, which would increase our self-efficacy. Or maybe we've tried for years and never even succeeded a little bit which might make us feel like we're doomed before we even start um and then there's also vicarious experience so watching other people um as humans we learn a lot vicariously we don't really pick up on it normally we're not really tuned into it um but we learn a lot vicariously so You know, if we have a friend that's always talking about being on a diet and always complaining about, oh, I'm so hungry and I just I'm not losing any weight and I'm working so hard. That will affect our thoughts and our beliefs about our abilities, um, because, you know, that's quite natural. Um, And then our our self-efficacy, it's also affected by verbal persuasion so social persuasion. Um, so that's basically encouragement or discouragement from people around us. So, you know, if, if our partner is always bigging us up and saying, you know, you, you can do anything you set your mind to, we're more likely to feel like we can, which again, makes a lot of sense. Um, but again, social persuasion, a lot A lot of these things, they're, they're quite common sense, um, but pay pay attention. It's an interesting exercise. Pay attention to what people say to you when you talk about fitness goals or weight loss goals, Um, because even a friend that's kind of going, oh, my God, that's so hard. You know, um, I really admire you for doing that. I could never do that. That might sound positive, but actually what it's saying to you is that it's really difficult and it's really hard. Um, And that can actually affect how, how you feel about it in a negative way, even if what they're saying is positive, if that makes sense. Um, So it's not something we always pay a lot of attention to, but what people say to us does get into our head um, in maybe a subconscious way. Um, And what I, what I generally say to people then is you don't have to talk to everyone about everything. You know, you can have certain people that are that it's beneficial to you to talk about your fitness goals and certain people that it's not beneficial and you know it's not necessarily their fault. Maybe they have a bad relationship with food or maybe they, um, maybe they're really really good. Um, maybe they've great relationship and you're comparing, um, and that's a negative experience for you. So that's the, that's actually a really interesting one to think about. Um, which people don't often tune into a lot. Um, and then just the final one is physiological feedback. so so it's kind of a more technical one Um, but basically when you think about your goal how does your body react if that makes sense so we experience emotions as sensations in our bodies again we might not always be tuned into it but we do Um, and how we perceive these emotions will affect our self-efficacy so for example if you feel a lot of anxiety around losing weight maybe um, you know maybe you want to have lost a certain amount of weight for a certain time. And it seems kind of, you know, close or a short amount of time. And so you feel anxiety, you're triggering an an anxiety response in your body physically. um, And that can then affect your self-efficacy as well. Um, So basically everything that this theory tells us is that mindset has a major impact on goals. Um, You know, we kind of all knew that, Um, but it's, it's interesting to consider what's influencing our mindset um, so whether you think you can or you think you can't you're right basically so never let anyone change your mindset when you have a good one people will 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 affect it more than you think um we're social creatures we we like learning from other people um and even though we think we might be strong to negative words um we're really not, um, and that's that's really very human. Um, so, unfortunately, no matter how strong that initial motivation is, could be the best goal in the world, um, it will go through peaks and troughs. So, like I was talking about, around that stages of change model, it's very natural for motivation to fluctuate. So, it's unrealistic to just hope that we're going to be motivated hundred percent of the time. We're just not. Um, so probably when we're stressed or tired you know motivation dwindles and that's when willpower becomes necessary so willpower is thinking with our logical brain it's doing what we know will ultimately lead to our happiness eventually in the future but it sacrifices our current happiness because we're forcing ourselves to do something that we don't want to do and that's the difference between motivation and willpower motivation is not forcing it's not a sacrifice of present happiness so you don't necessarily have to be happy that you're eating a salad um, but it's more that like you're happy to do it knowing the end result it's it's not a grind right it's not your favorite activity but it's not a grind willpower gets you through the grind when you need to get through it um so ultimately uh willpower doesn't sustain um, and that's why we're talking about sustaining motivation as opposed to sustaining willpower. Um, but I think it's it's helpful to touch on willpower as well, um, because it can be necessary for when our motivation dwindles to just grind through it sometimes. Um, there's a lot of research on willpower and something called ego depletion, which is basically willpower depletion. It kind of just a fancy term for it, Um, but it was a really, really popular theory in the early 2000s. Like it really took the psychology world by storm. Um, Major, major topic. Um, And it's the idea that willpower is this limited resource that we use up throughout the day. Um, And so the more temptation we have around us, the more willpower we use. And by the end of the day, the more likely we'll give into temptation because we've depleted all of our willpower so this theory came from a psychologist called roy baumeister in the late 90s so he did one of these wacky psychology experiments that you often hear about um, so he he tested people's ability to stick with a puzzle that was unsolvable um, so really nice he, get, he got a bunch of grad students into the lab and asked them to complete a puzzle knowing that they couldn't do it and basically timed them and saw how long they would stick with it um, and the, the trick was was that before he gave them the puzzle he laid out two plates in the lab he actually brought an oven into the psych lab to bake cookies in the lab so that the entire lab would smell of freshly baked cookies. And then he put this plate of freshly baked cookies on the table next to a plate of raw radishes. Don't know why it was radishes, a bit random. Um, But he told one group that they could eat whatever they wanted, they could have radishes, they could have cookies, whatever they wanted, Um, but could they please complete this puzzle? And then he told this other group If you're hungry, you can have some radishes, but you're not allowed any cookies. Oh, and can you also please complete this puzzle? Um, So he basically found quite staggering results, which was that those who were allowed to eat the cookies could stick with this unsolvable puzzle for 19 minutes on average, whereas those who could only eat the radishes and had to resist the, the cookies could only stick with it for eight minutes. So his conclusion was that those who had to resist the cookies must have depleted some of their discipline, which then made it harder to stick with the puzzle because that also requires discipline and therefore they gave up much faster. So it seemed to show basically that if you just have a pack of cookies in the house and you're walking you know, backwards and forwards to the sink to get some water, you're actually just using up effort every time you walk past them, whether or not you know um you're paying attention to it necessarily um so he had many many theories as to why this might be there's actually some really interesting research that that looked at blood glucose levels um, and they show that with effort and with concentration our blood our blood glucose drops um and so it becomes harder to resist food that boosts our glucose levels um, so a bunch of psychologists got excited and started conducting experiments where they gave people lemonade in the middle of a difficult task um, and actually had some interesting results that willpower lasted longer. Um, so there is some interesting research um, about sugar um, and willpower. Um, they, they also did some experiments where they just got people to think about lemonade Um, And just imagine drinking lemonade. And they also found that that can increase willpower. (laughs) Um, So that's another interesting study. Um, But the whole thing with ego depletion is that recent research has really raised serious questions over whether or not it exists at all. So I mention it because it's a huge topic and there's a lot of research on it. But what I would say is take it with a massive pinch of salt. So many, many psychologists tried to replicate the results and they just could not find similar results. So it was, a, it was actually a really big deal. Um, it kind of brought into question research and psychology in general, um, just about the way that we publish research um, and the way that we conduct research um, and it kind of raised a lot of concerns just about the scientific nature of psychology um it was a, a really huge deal um so but i think there was about 20 teams of psychologists who got together um, and they all tried to replicate these results independently and only one or two of them were actually able to find convincing evidence for this existence of ego depletion um And that's probably because these teams tested willpower in really different ways. So they use different environments, different, um, you know, they didn't all use cookies, um, different types of tasks. So it's, you know, it's hard to say, but unfortunately the real world is not a lab with cookies. The real world is, you know, different environments with our willpower being tested in different ways. So outside of the lab, does it exist? It's, it's up for debate um, and it's very much still a debate. Um, so what I would say is don't disregard it. Um, you know, there's no harm in at least considering the amount of temptation in our day-to-day life. Um, and when you do need willpower, I mean, there's no there's no doubt that being tired um, and, and sticking with the grind for days on end will make it harder to stick with the grind, right? So... It, it's it's good to at least consider the amount of temptation and what you could do to reduce it. But I would also say don't stress out about it either. You know, if you're on a diet and your partner isn't and they have cookies in the house, you know, don't stress about it. Um, because it's far more worth your time to focus on sustaining your motivation than your willpower, right? Because willpower just isn't enough. It's just not, it won't work. Um, Pretty simple, really. So willpower is discipline, it's self-control, it's forcing yourself. Um, and like I said before, it's just not enough for long-term behavior change. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so absolutely necessary at times when we have low motivation. Um, you know, it's necessary to get out of bed on a cold December morning when it's raining and snowing outside and you don't want to go to work. Sometimes you have to force yourself to do things. But in terms of long-term sustained living, you don't want to be forcing yourself to do things for the rest of your life. And if you could do that, you know, there's probably, there's probably something wrong um, mental health wise, if you're able to force yourself to do things you don't want to do for sustained periods. Um, so we really need to think about increasing motivation rather than increasing willpower, right? So how do we do that? So um, now that we've tuned into thinking about motivation, And, um, you know how and why it works and where it comes from. There are so many things that you can do to increase motivation. And honestly, just being aware of motivation is in itself a way to increase motivation. Um, But I've chosen these four strategies just because they're all really different. um, And I'm hoping that at least one of them will suit you. Um, You know, there should be something here for everyone. I hope. Um, And yeah, so. Test them is what I would say. Everyone's different. Everyone reacts differently to these kinds of things. So again, be gentle with yourself. It's difficult. It's hard. One of these ways could work really well for you. And then one day it just stops working and you know what? You need to try something else and that's fine. Um, I think honestly, the key with motivation is be gentle with yourself, be kind with yourself um, and give yourself a break because it is so, so hard um but yeah we're gonna look at Locke's goal setting theory so another theory um I said we were done with them I lied um so it's necessary for one of the strategies so this links back in with the stages of change model um I think I mentioned it back when I was talking about that planning and preparation phase um so uh Edwin Locke. yeah, He's the the guy who came up with Locke's goal setting theory. So he was an American psychologist in the 60s. Um, Most great psychologists were American and in the 60s. Um, And he believed that the most effective way to increase your motivation was to set the right goals in the first place. Um, So he really focused in on this preparation and planning phase. Um, So his research showed basically that vague goals and vague plans completely fail to increase motivation. you really have to spend time in this phase here um, to ensure that once you get into the action phase and you start making efforts to make sure that that pays off and to help you get into this maintenance and change forever. Um, so what did he find? he found that there's five elements to motivating goals is what he called them. Um, so first, Goals have to be clear. They cannot be vague. Um, And the best way to set a clear goal is, you know, using this SMART acronym. I think we're probably all aware of the SMART acronym. um, So I won't go into it too much. But basically, um, you set goals by making sure they're specific, that they're measurable, they're achievable, that they're relevant, and that they're time bound. Um, And it's basically making sure that you will know when you've reached your goal so if it's a vague oh I wish I could lose weight well what does that actually mean that's more of a wish than a goal Um, and having these specific goals is is really important for that clarity um, and ultimately helps increase your motivation Um, so secondly he found that they have to be challenging but not too challenging So that kind of mirrors what we were talking about with the self-efficacy, because if a goal is way too difficult, it's actually really demotivating. So if you say to yourself, I have to lose, you know, a stone weight in two months, it's just so difficult. um, And it becomes to the point where people just go, why even bother? Um, And so a really good way, actually, to hit that sweet spot is with scenario planning. So that's basically, simply put, it's thinking about barriers Um, that you might come up against and how difficult each one will be to overcome so it's really considering actually how challenging is that Um, so for example um, an example I like to give is kind of you know if you want to go to the gym every day at 6 p.m have you considered rush hour traffic that's a barrier have you considered um, what happens if your partner is laid out of work and they can't collect the kids that's a barrier you need a plan b um, otherwise, you get halfway to your goal, and suddenly all these challenges show up, and it becomes really difficult. And it's far more difficult than you thought it was going to be. Um, and that becomes really demotivating. Um, so scenario planning can be really helpful to hit that sweet spot of challenge, but not too challenging. Um, so oh, so next is commitment. So basically, have you bought into your own process? The big why, right? Are you willing to work through those challenges that you outlined in step two? Um, why are you setting these goals? What's the reward? Um, and you know what? A, a good one here is in introduce new rewards. You know, so we we can talk talk about rewards in a few minutes. But um, if your why isn't big enough, make it a bigger why. You know, a lot of times people need to lose weight for for health reasons, for medical reasons, um, and actually. There can be loads of reasons why people don't really feel that that's motivating enough. They know that they need to change for medical health reasons, but it's just not as motivating as um, carrying on with the behaviors that got them to that place in the first place. Um, So setting yourself other rewards can actually be really helpful in increasing that big why. Um, And then the fourth element, probably one of the most underrated in terms of motivating goals is feedback. So if you're not receiving feedback, then your motivation fails, right? It just just fades out. If you have no idea where you are in terms of your goal, um, it becomes completely demotivating. So it's really important that you track your progress with your goals. Doesn't matter how, with an app, journal, in your brain, it actually really does not matter. So long as you are tracking it and you have a way to measure your outcomes. So not being obsessive about it, um, you know, like weighing yourself every day, for example, that's not constructive feedback because it's it's far, there's far too many factors that that influence day-to-day fluctuations in weight. Um, so you've got to consider the quality of the feedback as well, right? You don't want to have all this noise around you of, oh, I'd lost a pound, i gained a pound, and it's all in the space of two days. It's too much noise, right? You need constructive, clear feedback um, to actually know if what you're doing is working. Um, And it's really important here as well that both positive and negative feedback are welcome and seen as constructive. So really, really easy and really natural to be super hard on ourselves. Um, I think it's probably one of the most human things in the world is that, you know, we look at the scales and we don't see that loss that we wanted to see and so we beat ourselves up over it Um, but actually beating ourselves up is demotivating so it's it's actually self-sabotage in a way Um, and one of the most effective and impactful things that you can do for yourself is to break out of that habit of immediate Um, negative beating ourselves up feeling guilty feeling shame could be a whole other talk again could be ten thousand talks to be honest with you um and it can take years to beat that habit of just feeling crap about ourselves but it's really important for for breaking out of um out of that relapse cycle here um and and going back around the stages of change again is actually that is that mindset about ourselves and about our feedback Um, so yeah that's a really it's a really underrated one um, especially in terms of um, constructive feedback not um, only allowing positive or only being okay when it's good news you know okay this week what I did didn't work let's try something else that's so helpful so helpful to know that what I was doing wasn't working I'm glad I know (laughs) way easier said than done i'm making it sound super easy it's probably the most difficult thing you could ever do um in terms of outside of behavior change obviously because that's the most difficult um but anyway, sorry getting back on track um the fifth the fifth was uh task complexity so basically it can't be too complicated so simplicity is key um and if you're feeling overwhelmed just strip it right back bare necessities Absolute bare necessities, and then build it back up again as you gain confidence and feel more in control. If you're feeling out of control, take control. Um, Nice and simple, and build it back up. You can always build it back up. So, once you've completed this planning phase correctly, you've begun to take action. How do you keep it going? How do you keep the motivation going now that you've moved into the action phase? Well, one of the most simple ways is journaling, right? We're not reinventing the wheel here. Um, but there's endless benefits to journaling, depending on what you focus on. Um, It can actually be a great way of tracking that progress in a nice, um, emotionless way, if possible. Um, But there's loads of other ways that journaling can help. Um, So it can be a great way to engage with goal affirmation. So that's basically where you're reminding yourself of your goals, why they're important to you um it can also be a great way to increase your self-efficacy so again back to that Pandora's research so literally bigging yourself up while you're writing you know you can journal about how great you are um because there's something great about everyone and that can actually help um and then also um you know if if none of that sounds appealing people tend to really respond to gratitude journaling i'm a really big fan of it just for everything basically Um, but you can also focus on your goals when you're gratitude journaling. So, you know, um, I'm really grateful that I have time to work out today. You know, that just shifts the whole mindset, you know, from, oh, I couldn't be arsed. I don't want to. I can't believe I have to do this. This is so annoying to actually, I have the time to go to the gym and the money to spend on the gym. And I don't have to work 12 hour days out in the sun on a farm somewhere, you know, it's perspective, right? what I tend to say to people about journaling is it doesn't have to be in a journal It doesn't have to be on a piece of paper you know you can literally say it to yourself in the morning before getting out of bed you can write it down on your phone you can um I I like to put things on sticky notes and put them up around the place um somewhere you can see them um you know it doesn't literally have to be a journal with like you know pretty flowers on it or whatever. Um and it doesn't have to take all day. Two minutes, one minute. Just one one thing you're grateful for. Add that to your morning and you'll you'll see a difference. Um, So kind of aware of time. I feel like I'm really babbling on here. Um, So if we if we go really quickly through this back here to our reinforcements. So we were talking about increasing motivation with rewards. Um, So basically, this is about designing your environment, right? So you are the master of your own environment, create positive and negative reinforcements that will help you find your extrinsic motivation, right? So for the things when we're lacking our intrinsic, we need to increase our extrinsic. So positive reinforcement, that's getting something good. So for example, nice bubble bath after your walk. And then negative reinforcement, people think that that's punishment a lot of the time. Um, There's a big misconception about that. Negative reinforcement is actually the removal of something bad. So um, something I sometimes say to people is, you know, you could play a really high pitch annoying noise on your phone and you're only allowed to turn it off when you've done 100 sit-ups, right? So getting to turn off the noise is the negative reinforcement. Um, It's removing something bad when you do something good. Right. So this is really important to notice about reinforcements, though, is that extrinsic motivation can't overwrite intrinsic motivation for long. So you can for a little while, but not for long. So that kind of helps explain why over restricting with calories is not a sustainable way to lose weight, because your intrinsic need for food and fueling your body and surviving will take over from your from your extrinsic um, motivation Um, so our genetic instincts will motivate us to eat food when our body feels hunger right so that's our intrinsic motivation Um, so you might be able to ignore hunger and that intrinsic motivation for a short while that's completely fine and it's completely necessary at certain times um, but if you feel compelled to ignore your intrinsic motivations long term, then there's actually a breakdown somewhere in the process of your need motivations. Um, so it's actually not good if if you're if you're able to ignore your need motivations. Um, it's actually a sign that something's really, really wrong. So, like, you know, biologically, you might have an illness that suppresses appetite um, or psychologically, you could be experiencing eating disorder symptoms. Um, because you shouldn't be able to ignore your intrinsic motivations for too long. It's it's not good for you. Um, and that comes, it, it kind of comes back here to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, so when we're talking about increasing and retaining motivation for desire, so for what we want, so we want to lose weight, we want to gain muscle, we want to increase fitness, you need to think about your intrinsic motivations and your need motivations Make sure that those are met first, and then you can meet your desire motivations. So that's what Maslow's hierarchy of needs are. So it's this little pyramid, triangle-y thingy. So his theory was that we have to start off right at the bottom. We have to get these basic needs met first. So broadly speaking, there are physiological needs. So food, water, warmth, and rest, right? So we can only stay at the gym for however many hours eventually we're going to collapse. We can only, you know, restrict our calories to a certain point. Eventually, our body will rebel again unless we have um, a psychological issue. Um, So he would put weight loss goals, fitness goals, all up here in the self-actualization. So that's achieving your full potential. Um, That's your desires. But you have to meet all of these first. So when you're thinking about what you're doing to reach your goals, you have to consider what you're sacrificing from your needs. So, for example, if you are not going out to eat with friends, let's say your friends meet up every Saturday or at the pub, right? You know, you all get a pint at the pub on the weekend. And you've decided, I can't just go and have, you know, one, I always have to have You know, five pints, and that puts me so over my calories. So I'm just not going to go. And you stop going and you start losing touch with your friends, and it's like a slow process. And over a couple of months, you're missing out more and more in these social events. You start to damage your psychological needs, right? So now you're damaging this intrinsic motivation for connection, for human belongingness, which is in us in it's written into our genetic coding that we need this we will seek this we will look for this so eventually if we're trying to overwrite the motivation for this by saying well actually I'm more motivated to lose weight you will eventually give up on the losing weight in this way if that makes sense so you have to be meeting these as well to be able to meet your want motivations So that was that was a really 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 quick um, explanation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But basically, you have to look after yourself to be able to work with yourself to reach things like fitness goals. Um, You need to attend to your needs to get your wants. Basically, Um, so if we just recap real real quick, this is what we covered. Um, I might leave this up here if anyone has any questions. It might prompt some questions or um that kind of wraps it up though um if there's any any questions i'll be happy to answer them or if not i'll take it as a sign that i explained everything super well and i wasn't at all
1: i've never saw someone summarize maslow's hierarchy of needs in 90 seconds i mean first and foremost let's just give uh, yourself some credit for that there um no i think there was a lot of really really good points I think one thing I've sort of just came across, maybe just to add on to, is when we look at motivation, again, our motivation is just the need and desire to do something, understand mm-hmm. we are looking to either avoid pain, gain pressure, <laughs> or as humans, we're also looking to conserve energy. So yep. we know that we want to go to the gym because we want to lose weight, but that's going to take us off of the, com- off of the comfort of our couch while watching Netflix. So in that moment, we might not be getting less healthy or getting fatter. We might not be specifically getting healthier by doing that one workout. Like that's not going to be the deciding factor, but a big motivation is just the conservation of energy as well. So I'm going to quickly just run over a few summary points and team, if anyone has any questions, again, just being respectful of time, but I'm going to just run over a few bullet points which really, really stood out to myself just to kind of drill home. As um, again, as I said, motivation is just your willingness, your need or desire wanting to do something. So you're always motivated. It's just where your energy is sort of shifted towards. Understand that it's not always discipline or motivation, which is the problem. Forcing change doesn't allow it to work. Uh, and looking at the, the changes of uh, the stages of change, relapse is actually a learning. You're just going around the loop and you're just getting better every time you go around the loop. Um, Incentive theory, spending time with the intrinsic, the joy of the action, as Kate was saying, like maybe you just love walking and maybe you just love cooking good food. The extrinsic is the actual result. Well, I love cooking good food and sitting with my family and enjoying a nice meal or I like working out or I like how my body looks because of that. Uh, we then dived into self-efficacy, which I thought was amazing. A big standout there is you don't have to talk to everyone about everything. And then the last point I want to just take home is understand that it's not that you lack motivation or willpower. It's that you have a lack of it. It is a depletable resource that you use up over a period of time. And there are ways to increase our willingness to act by doing again the intrinsic and the extrinsic and and weighing those up but it really just comes down to again what you want why you want it and getting really really clear on that so clarity challenge commitment construction and complex complexity those were sort of the, the five the five c's that i sort of took away there so yeah team What I'm gonna do very quickly is I'm gonna spend 60 seconds. I'm gonna just throw in a little bit of music and I want you to just scribble down uh, in the chat box what you took away from that and what do you need to do differently moving forward? So now that we've, we always run through smart goals, you've got a good understanding, but all this information made perfect sense and it's great information, but it's only good information once you receive it and actually do something with it. So spend the next 60 seconds, pen and paper, use the chat box, and let's actually do something with this information. Let's put a plan together on that one. 60 seconds team, off we go. enjoyed that lovely rendition. Uh, we have Jay, the biggest takeaway was the connection between motivation and willpower. I've always been trained or learned that they were separate, fascinating. Uh, Jillian was recognizing that we're always motivated to do something, it's just a focus shift. Never thought i like that, that's absolutely incredible. Um, by that, I don't think we have any more questions with that one, I think that was laid out perfectly um kate we're looking to bring you back in next month again and follow up with this one is there anything which you invite the guys to think about or consider or prepare for um give them a quick snapshot in terms of what they can get excited for moving forward and if there's anything you invite us to do
0: um well i think that would depend on what you'd like for the next talk um i mean i have a a million topics we could cover um I mean, honestly, honestly, one of the things you could think about is, is there any topic in particular that's really of interest to you? Because I can write bespoke talks either, if you you like.
1: Hmm, Fascinating. We'll uh, maybe spend some time. I'm going to just finish up the recording there.